Warning, the following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to this episode number 74 of DC Primetime. Obviously, this is not the voice you're used to hearing bringing you into the show. That is because Ben is at Heroes and Villains this weekend. Uh, I'm very jealous, and I know our good friend that's on the show with us today is also very jealous because we know we see some great photos from him just last night as we're recording this. Uh, we know Ben's already met with people like Josh Shagera from Arrow, Echo Cullum, Rick Gonzalez, uh, the folks from Gotham, like Drew Powell, Robin Lord Taylor, and a ton of others. So I'm really, really excited. So that means we'll have some great content coming up for you guys in a couple weeks. That some of that might be saved for actually the breaks before the show start because we're only a couple weeks out, which is crazy to think. Uh, but joining me to do this show, it's not just my voice, but a, a voice from one of our biggest contributors to our community. Also a fellow podcaster and friend, our good friend Paul Williams from the Bats, Bows, and Books podcast. Welcome aboard, my friend. How's it going? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So uh, I apologize for the early start this morning, but uh, like I said, uh, we figured uh, we'll have an opportunity uh, for us to finally get a chance to have you on. I know we'll have to definitely do this when Ben's back on, too, but uh, you had a great idea for this episode. So I'll let you I'll let you say what we're about to do, because we haven't even announced this yet, so... Oh, you guys haven't? Uh, I oh. don't. I don't. I think we talked thought, really, really. Oh, you know what we did at the very you end. You briefly of the last mentioned week. it last yeah. episode. Yeah, if I if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, DC with horror because, like you had mentioned on the last episode, I am a huge horror buff, probably in a very unhealthy manner as well. But that's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I. I've, one thing that I've always been attracted to with DC Comics is the darkness. Uh, the, as a matter of fact, I'm a huge fan of the DCEU, despite you know not everyone liking it. I actually personally really love it. Um, I like darker stuff. I love horror films. And when you had asked me to be on the show, that's when I kind of came up with the idea of let's do DC and horror. Because DC Comics has had their horror elements as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's kind of funny. It's, you know, I'm going to say this now because it, it'll be one of two of my recommendations, but one of the stories that they have happening right now, which is uh, Dark uh, Dark Knight Metal that's happening. Uh, yes. Very, very heavy uh, on body horror, alternate takes on characters. And like I said, I when I read the first issue, I'm like, this is the upside down of the DC universe, and it's really kind of cool. I love what, what uh, Scott Snyder and Capullo are doing on this. Oh, definitely. And not to mention, they're like really trying to push to get Justice League Dark made into a film, which there's a lot of horror elements within that, including the two characters we'll be talking about today. Yeah, and two very different versions of characters that we're going to be talking about today, too. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we'll be discussing today uh, the 1981, is it? I want to say. 82. 
82. 82 version of uh, Swamp Thing, directed by Wes Craven, which I completely forgot that he was the director of. And uh, it's uh, actually the the only two films he had done before this were Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, he hadn't even done Nightmare on Elm Street yet. I know it's crazy to think that that's that was still just ruminating around in his brain, and, and he was preparing mm-hmm. that one. But yeah, it was a uh, you know Swamp Thing was an experience going back and watching, and then obviously uh, you know Constantine starring Keanu Reeves, a uh, very different version of Constantine that we're used to, especially nowadays. Oh yeah. So I'm sure our, our, our thought process on both of these films is going to be drastically different because, again, passage of time and you're seeing three things through a nostalgic lens. But uh, it's very interesting to go back to films like that. Yeah. And well, and Swamp Thing has had like its fair share of controversy as well. So I, I thought that would be kind of interesting to talk about as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, how about this? Let's let's do this the way that we normally do on the show. Let's we're gonna give our one of three point ratings, and you know we're gonna actually add a number to this as well. So one through three okay. would be a sidekick, four through seven would be a hero, and eight through ten would be our traditional legend. Uh, okay. So we'll start off here with Swamp Thing. Paul, what would you give Swamp Thing as a rating now? <laughs> okay, if I'm doing this on a nostalgic level, it's a legend. If I'm doing it based on um, like the film and how it was filmed and it, how it holds up, it's more a hero than it is a legend. Um, but the nostalgia factor, it, it's a legend. It, it, it's a 10. <laughs> it's a 10 if I'm going based on nostalgia just because I laughed my ass off watching the whole thing. But Yeah, I totally get you. Uh, I think for me, I, I'm going to definitely go hero for this the nostalgic lens. Uh, but in addition, though, too, I think I would give this also probably a low tier hero from watching it today's standards. Uh, yeah. it, there, there was a lot. There was a lot of fun to be had watching the movie, especially the earlier part of that film. Uh, oh yeah, I, I think really like uh, the first forty minutes of that movie are truly wonderful. When you see the transformation sequences and all that, and it was it, it just oozed classic eighties horror so much from it. I loved it. Uh, but yeah. shortly after that sequence happens, the movie feels like it takes this hard turn, uh, and it reminds me of things like Puppet Master. And you're like, it's not quite what I thought it would be, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, it, watching it's it again. definitely got its camp factor that it almost seems like it's going out of its way to go over the top with the camp factor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or not Puppet Master. I'm thinking, sorry, uh, Ghoulies. Uh, it, it takes this, uh, oh, this hard geez, turn and goes, it goes into a Ghoulies territory in my brain. <laughs> Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. When you go into long, long dinner sequences with weird, awkward things happening, like, what is happening here? (laughs) So Exactly. (laughs) Ghoulies Uh, or critters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But our next film, obviously, is uh, Constantine. So uh, now I can't remember which year. What year did this come out? 2005. 2000. Wow. It's that recent. So it's it's only we're only talking, you know, 12 years ago. Uh, yep. which, man, really changes films a lot because, like, especially early 2000s to, like, 2007, 2008. Um, yeah. There, there is that realm of CG that you, when you watch it, it either looks really good or it's really, really, really cringeworthy. Thankfully, this is on more the up and up, uh, which yes. was great to see. Oh, visually, it's a beautiful film. Yeah, yeah, it really, really it, is. It, visually, it's amazing. Uh, now, what would you give this film as far as your score today? Uh, both on nostalgia and on uh, like the merit of the film itself, it, it's a high hero. Um, I, I don't know that I call it legend. I'll get into why. Um, we can thank Matt Ryan for this, but um, <laughs> it, it's it's definitely a high hero. Like it's an enjoyable film. Um, maybe a little too long, but 
other than that, like for what they were trying to do and it being, I believe the first film version of John Constantine, it wasn't bad. Like it's, it's a decent film. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I think for me, if I were to go with that, I, I I'd say it would definitely falls in nostalgia. Definitely a high hero. I would say mm-hmm. in today's standards, it, it runs right in the mid tier. And I, it's, I think I'm sharing the same reasonings. Why? Uh, that you yeah. are. It, it's. I think you know. We can both say it now. Um, it's Matt Ryan is a big part of that reasoning. You know, if Matt yes. Ryan's version of the character didn't exist, I think this could go into legend territory because we have nothing else to base it with. Um, you, if basically you switch Keanu with Matt Ryan, this movie's a legend. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just missing a little that Constantine flair. I mean, of course, there's Shia LaBeouf, but we won't knock him too much. He was younger in this, but. Um, Everyone else brought their A game. Like, it, it was well acted by almost everyone that was in this film. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Why don't we, how about this? We'll start with Constantine. Let's really okay. get into this film since we're already kind of like on the on the precipice of just diving into it. And then mm-hmm. I think it'll just be fun to wrap this conversation up with Swamp Thing because I know I'm you and me will really enjoy just going back to that. But <laughs> so, so definitely, you know, with Constantine, you're, you're, I'm, you're right. It's Matt Ryan's performance that we saw from, you know, the short-lived TV show and his mm-hmm. appearance we saw in Arrow. Um, man, that character just, you know, Matt Ryan oozes what you expect of the, uh, that character to the T. When he you go back and it. watch it, you go back and watch this film and Keanu Reeves, as much as I enjoy him, and I, I, I was joking with people, you know, uh, and I, this is my long-running joke about him, is there is no Keanu Reeves. Uh, if you ever, If he ever has a bad performance in a film, just remember to yourself. There is no Keanu. There is only uh, Ted Theodore Logan, es- you know, Esquire, and that's <laughs> it. Keanu, oh, yo, Keanu Reeves is just a character he plays. So it's you're watching Ted grown up, broken up from Wild Stallions, and went into acting. Nice. And that's a great way to watch any Keanu Reeves movie, especially Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, <laughs> so. Bram Stoker's Dracula is a perfect film minus Keanu Reeves. It really is. Because Gary Oldman was amazing as yeah. the Count. Absolutely. Uh, and and even Winona Ryder, like I know a lot of people are riding high on her right now from Stranger Things, but she was amazing in that. Yeah, she like, really, she really was, was. She really like shined well in that film. Yeah. Now, obviously, this, you know, going back to Constantine, we, we have a couple big notable people in this film that a lot of people forget about. One of them uh, you already mentioned, which was Shia LaBeouf. A lot of people forget that was one of his first real big, uh, big roles that he played. Um, Gavin Rossdale from Bush. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, played. Uh, Balthazar. Balthazar. Yeah. There's the, yep. the demon. Peter Stormare as Satan, which was. Who oh. was Vertigo on and, Arrow. Yeah. He is the second count Vertigo from Arrow. Uh, exactly. Absolutely. absolutely. And then uh, Tilda Swinton. Uh, yep. Playing uh, Gabriel, and oh, she um, was awesome. Yeah, and um, I can never remember the female lead from this movie. Her name, oh my god, Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss. Uh, and when immediately when I started the movie, I forgot she was in it, and then immediately yeah. I was like, I really feel like watching the Mummy. Yeah, so she played uh, Angela Dodson. Yes, yes, but yeah, it's like whenever I see her, I just always think of the Mummy franchise and how much I love that mo- those series. Um, oh yeah, they were great. But yeah, so I mean, a wonderful cast put together. Absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful cast. Uh, yeah. Now, where do you think this falls when you're discussing and thinking John Constantine? Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you think this actually does it right, and where do you think it makes its mistakes? Well, right off the bat, one of the like one of the mis- I don't know if I want to call it a mistake because I know they were trying to do something a little bit different, but 
John Constantine's from Liverpool. This version's from L.A. Um, and it just, it's, I think it was too close to the Matrix series. And I think that kind of hurt it a little bit because when you're watching it, you almost keep thinking Neo, Neo, Neo. It, it didn't feel like John Constantine. And on top of the fact that because he wasn't, you know, British and he wasn't from Liverpool, it, for me, that's what kind of hurts it. When you have Matt Ryan playing the character, he's British. He's got the the swagger, and like you feel like you're watching someone from Liverpool, and that as much as like, and I actually really love this movie, but Keanu is the hardest part for me to watch, yeah. even more so than Shia LaBeouf, which I really don't like him, but. But you know he I, had this I, he had I, this a grown up short round uh, vibe to him that worked. Yeah, in that exactly. Movie, and exactly. it really worked. Even though Chaz is supposed to be older, as a matter of fact, I believe in the comics he even had kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this was like like you said, like short round, totally Indiana Jones. Um, which sadly enough, Shia LaBeouf ruined that too. But, um, <laughs> but this version of Chaz didn't bother me. Um, and we forgot about Papa Midnight. Oh, yeah, and they did a great job with Papa Midnight. I can this. never pronounce the guy's friggin' name. Jamon Huso or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a great job as Papa Midnight. Yeah, you and me um, are both cursed with the the difficulty on names, so it's okay. I I butcher them. I, I do, I'm too, horrible. all the time. That's why I'm very always happy that Ben's around. I'm like, thank God. Because yeah. uh, he's done enough interviews with people that he, he just can get it. And I'm like, nope. nope yeah. Not happening. But, I mean... And the worst part is, though, is that, like, you could tell Keanu, like, like he was trying, like, and he was doing, like, his own version of the character. I guess it's just, especially watching it now. Now, if I go back to 2005 when I saw it, it probably didn't bother me as much. But now that we've seen Constantine in the NBC series. Yeah, this really it, pinpoint accurate version of the character exists ex- now. Exactly. If- it was so hard to go back. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's difficult because honestly, you're right. If you could substitute Matt Ryan into that film somehow, uh, mm-hmm. and you're right, it's that swagger. He 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 carries himself like you know when Keanu in that movie is this kind of is John is kind of like I don't care, get out of my way. He yeah. just he just it, you immediately think of sad Keanu from from the you know meme that everybody thinks about all the time. He, yeah. He's he's just very somber and brooding, where Matt Ryan's like. I just don't give a fuck. <laughs> there's exactly. a there's a drastic difference in in, in that attitude, um, you know. And it, it's you know it, you can go back to that NBC series, and you know if you think about like for example, if you change one pivotal scene in Constantine mm-hmm. where John goes into uh, the hospital with uh, you know that really really badass like riot shotgun with the crosses yeah. you know all built into it, if you mm-hmm. can imagine. Matt Ryan's version coming in with headphones, blaring punk music as he's laying waste to those God people. God save the queen or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. seriously. Like, if you go back to that sequence from, you know, it was like the second or third episode of the Constantine third. TV show. Yes. And, and, he, uh, oh, what song did they use? Was it uh, Anarchy in the UK? Yeah. If, if you substituted something like that into that, man, that movie would have the elevated so high if oh, you no had, had a moment like that. Because one thing about this Constantine film uh, my wife was watching it with me because she never really saw it before. I think she said she watched mm-hmm. bits and pieces. Um, 
and never just watch it in, in in full. And you even mentioned this in your review, like you know, your your review score is this film is a bit long. Uh, yes. It's a very slow paced film, and, and yeah. it, you know purposefully so. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think movies have to be breakneck paces anymore. No. Um, but I mean, you watch a film like this though, and like I could have shaved twenty or thirty minutes off of this. Um, mm. You know, there's the whole subplot with the Spear of Destiny of of it making its way to L.A. That yeah. the sequences just make that movie halt. Like every and time you you see the random sequences going back to that. It was kind of interesting too watching it again because I just watched it a couple nights ago and having them bring up the Spear of Destiny and I'm watching it on the heels of when Legends of Tomorrow just had the Spear of Destiny. I'm like, wow, that was an interesting little tie-in. Like, because I I completely forgot the Spear was even in this movie. It was nice to go back and watch it. I was like, oh shit, yeah, I forgot that was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was. It was I mean, really it's like funny. the biggest biggest part of the film, but of course I forgot about it and. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit I don't watch this movie a lot. So. No, you know what? Honestly, though, whenever I think of this movie, it, it's the end sequence. It's the end yeah. sequence that makes me just like excited and just love horror films like this. Because I'd still say this is a this is a mixture of a thriller and a horror. I'm definitely yeah. more towards the horror side. Uh, you know, there's a little light action in this movie, and I really stress light because yeah. it's a lot of dialogue. It's a very dialogue heavy film. Um, yeah, and very good dialogue at that too. It is very very well written dialogue. Oh, um, the, the the conversation between him and Lucifer, aka oh. Peter Stomar, it's like beautiful. It's like dialogue gold. Oh God, it's amazing, and I love, and, and I I can't stress this enough. For four or five minutes on screen, man, Peter Stormare steals this film. It is my favorite oh, yeah. on screen representation of Lucifer anywhere, without Be- question. Between him and Tilda Swinton. Oh yeah, both of them. Their performances are like golden on the screen. They really are. They both do something really special in this and mm-hmm. really exciting. Um, oh yeah, because it's not representations you expect of characters like these. Because no. they twisted them. Like you have a very tattooed up, you know, Lucifer, but like wearing like the white linen suit and like yeah. very sexual in the way he speaks, his nature. Very slimy. It feels like he's embodying the seven deadly sins all at once, and he just does it right. Like, when you think that's not humanly possible for an actor, watch this sequence. I can yeah. watch the sequence on repeat for days on end. Interestingly enough, while I was watching it and watching his performance, kind of almost made me wonder how he would have fit in the Lucifer TV series. Oh, can you imagine if they flipped it and had him play God? Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be, like, wicked awesome. Because I do, I will say this: I do love the Lucifer TV show. Uh, that's one oh, yeah. of the things I wish we could, we had the time, because I would love to do a vertical, vertigo offshoot on this show where we can do iZombie and, and Lucifer and all that. Because I love both of those shows. Uh, iZombie. I'm, I'm just gonna quickly throw this in there. iZombie. The one thing that I absolutely love about that series is that girl plays a different role every week and does it beautifully. It's flawless. And one of the things, you know, I got to bring up with that, too, is and I every time we have a chance to talk about it, I, I need, like, always at least a minute. They are not afraid to take risks in that show. And oh, man, they God, do no. it constantly, and especially the way that they ended their last season. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. All right, so back to Constantine. So, yep. all right, now we both agree that, um, you know, obviously Matt Ryan could have really changed this film. But one thing that I think is really special about this movie is its depiction of hell. Um, especially mm-hmm. with as much as they go back to it and use it, 
I don't know what it is about it, man, but like there's something like when they do that wipe across a screen and you see things just tear apart and die, and then it's just that oh, yeah. thick, rich red red clouds. It looks like crisis clouds when you think of DC. Um, but man, there's something beautiful about the way that they do their their version of it. Uh, I don't know where you stand on on depictions of that kind of stuff. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I believe I don't know if it's on the DVD commentary or where I actually heard it, but apparently the original look for hell they wanted just a black room with like black oil on the floor. That's what they originally wanted for hell, and I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route. Cause it would have seemed very bland. Like I, I don't know. I I just I love the visuals to this film. Like that's one thing that even like like we were saying. Like you know you could get a cut maybe half an hour off. I'm almost glad they didn't for the fact that you get to stare at these visuals for that extra half hour. That's um, very very true. Like the the scope in which they like filmed all of it was just you just sit there in awe like. I'll I'll admit there are a few parts in the movie that I feel kind of drag on a little too much, especially with the dialogue. But overall, like I don't I don't walk away from this film feeling like okay, you could have cut like an easy hour off that to make my life better. Like no, it they they've done like with what they tried to do, they did a good job. And I mean, not to mention you're talking like years and years of comic book history put into a two hour film. It, I don't know. It, I think they did good. I think like I don't personally have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting back to like just the overall visuals, like and like you said, like the whole part of like the decay and the rotting and whatnot, like that is hell. Like you, we always joke. Everyone always, I, and I hear so many people say, "Yeah, I'm on my way to hell. Hell's where the party is," and this and that. Hell is not where the party is, people. <laughs> like you are going to suffer. And I loved how the atmosphere and the way they depicted it, you feel like there would be a massive amount of suffering going on there. Yeah. Um, and I loved, actually, there's a great line of dialogue um, that John says to, uh, oh, my God, I already forgot her name again. Not Rachel Weiss. Well, Rachel Weiss's character in the movie. Um, oh, uh, Angela. Angela Dodson. So when he's talking to Angela and is kind of talking about what happens to her sister, like, well, she killed herself. So mm-hmm. she gets to experience being ripped apart for the rest of eternity. And yep. it's just the way that he says that. There's something about the delivery of that line uh, because, obviously, we know John in this version has died as well uh, yes. and, you know, was brought back. Mm-hmm. I love the way he delivers that. And it's kind of like that serious tone to it that you just believe yeah. Um, and it's there. It's something really, really kind of just amazing about um, some of those small, quiet moments in this film that really drive this film home. Yeah. Um, that I, I think they really achieved what they were trying to do. I think that's the thing too, though. Like people, like because I have read certain like reviews and comments where people said it was like too slow of a film. But John Constantine is not an action comic book hero. There, there's a lot more to his character. There's, there's the the mystery, and there's um, what's what's the term I'm thinking of here? Like, he's a slow burn. Um, yeah. Because is very deliberate. Yes, thank you. That that's more or less what I was trying to say. Like, he's not Superman. He's not going to go fly off and fight the bad guy. It's not Batman who's going to do the detective work and then kick the shit out of people. Um, 
He's a very jaded like, hero. He, he's, yes. And yes. not even a hero. He's a very jaded anti-hero. That's, that's yeah, the basically. Thing. Yeah. Like, he knows like, he, he can do a lot, a lot of good. He just doesn't yeah. care. He's a cigarette smoking, even though he's dying of cancer type of, like you said, anti-hero. Like he's not. And I, I find like sometimes when I've like read people um, like their, their reviews or their comments about the character and they're like, well, it was, you know, a slow movie, too much talking, this and that. But he's not. He's not gonna wear a cape or have a lasso of truth or any of that kind of like it's a different kind of character that they've created with him, um, and as we'll see, also kind of with Swamp Thing's a different kind of character altogether too. Um, but you're dealing with a lot of like religious tones with this character. You're dealing with a lot of like angels and demons. Um, it's just it's overall it's a different type of character. So having the long dialogue having the uh different visuals and whatnot to this film it made sense um like i say like and i don't want to knock keanu reeves because he's a great he's a great actor i've I've, i love a ton of his stuff but he just wasn't right for this character yeah that's that's really all it comes down to yeah other than that like like this movie has a 6.9 out of 10 rating on imdb and i almost feel like it should be a little bit higher yeah, I mean, I think it should definitely be at least in a seven five, maybe. Yeah, at this yeah. point, because I think seven it, to seven it deserves it. Five. It absolutely deserves it. Yeah. Um, now, I, I, as we close out discussions of Constantine, mm-hmm. what are your two favorite sequences in this film? Two favorite sequences. Um, well, definitely the um, the scene with him and Peter Stomare. Mm-hmm. I mean that 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 back and forth between the two of them is like cinema gold to me. Uh, I absolutely love that. I also did love the dimensions uh, of Ravenscar, like, and especially like coming off the TV series when it basically opens at Ravenscar. It was mm-hmm. it, it's nice to go back to that. Um, one of the things that uh, I actually and I watched it this time intentionally and counted because I kept reading this um, rumor on the internet that during the course of the movie, uh, Constantine smokes thirteen cigarettes. He does smoke 13 cigarettes, and <laughs> it was apparently a little joke. They wanted 13 cigarettes because 13 is an unlucky number. Um, so going back this time, I actually did watch, and yeah, it's 13 cigarettes. <laughs> um, That's but, kind of cool. uh, Yeah. Um, one thing uh, that makes me laugh about this film, uh, not even so much about the film, but just something that happens outside of the film Um this film is on Roger Ebert's most hated list, and yet the film we'll be talking about after is one of his favorites. Huh. Interesting. And makes me laugh because it should be the other way around. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> agree with you. I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, as for me, like I said, I, I definitely share that uh, that thought as far as the Peter Stormare, Lucifer, and John scene near the end of the film mm-hmm. uh, easily being the number one highlight. But the second one is... It's the second interaction with Papa Midnight, that whole oh. sequence, and right before him and, and Chaz get ready to leave, mm. th- there's something about that set uh, and that set design when they're standing in that little red archway before they leave. When he's just mm. praying over the two of them as they leave, and John's like, "Oh, come on," and just kind of leaves. Yeah. But him continuing, I love that interpretation of Papa Midnight. It was forgot so the... so incredibly well done. Yeah, I forgot one other thing is at the very end when um, Gabriel has lost her wings. Mm-hmm. And she's like trying to goad on uh, John Constantine. He's like, "Yeah, whatever. 
Luke by <laughs> it's that, that was and, another... and John also getting pulled up uh, as uh, Heaven's trying to take him and just flipping off Satan as he's trying to rise. Exactly, exactly. Those like, were really good John Constantine moments. Like I could yes. believe any version of the character absolutely doing those things. Like yep. the, you know, walking away from Papa Midnight, pissing off Gabriel, and flipping off the devil. Yes, all those exactly. things absolutely exactly. without question. So they did a great job of trying to get the character as close to that as what they could as possible. I think they succeeded, and I think they succeeded in what they attempted to do. So now, just one last thing for you to con- uh, to consider um, or to like think about uh, how different this film could have been if they had actually gone with who they originally wanted to cast for it, uh, Nicolas Cage. Oh God, no! Um- right. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, Nicolas Cage's job nowadays is to be the rumor or potentially the person that was going to play the character. So Originally, the uh, the first director they were going to have, Tarsum Singh, was uh, he was going to direct the film, and he wanted Nicolas Cage. And then Nicolas Cage didn't work out, so the director left too. But just when I, when I was reading that the other day, and I'm thinking to myself, this film with Nicolas Cage... I wouldn't even want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm very happy to this day that we don't do a Marvel show. I mean, you know, Marvel, I, there's a lot I love to it. But, man, to see the amount that we would have to talk – because we'd, we'd have to talk about Ghost Rider eventually. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? Do we have to? Do we really need to discuss this? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so. I know I know this isn't a Marvel show, but the Ghost Rider they did for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was amazing. I just, yeah, yeah, I will say. I, 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 I watched – I actually went back to the show just to watch the episodes with him because I wanted to see what they did. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we have to change gears and go further yep. back in time from 2005 to 1982. And mm-hmm. as we mentioned before, a little Wes Craven film called Swamp Thing starring Ray Weiss, which I completely forgot that he plays Alec Holland. So right? it was really kind of funny when I was like, wait a second. Is that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that definitely is who I think it is. <laughs> and you have Adrian Barbeau, yeah. who went on to do Batman the Animated Series, Batman Arkham Asylum, Gotham mm-hmm. Girls, which was that web-based series they had back in the day. I own um, the Birds of Prey DVDs, so I have it. So I know. So you know what I'm talking about, exactly. <laughs> that was actually the main reason for buying Birds of Prey as a series. So Yeah. I still Well, that and Mia Sarah is Harley Quinn, so I'm good with that. I'm not going to lie. Birds of Prey is a guilty pleasure of mine. I actually, I enjoy it. It's mine too, which is why when we did our Silver Age thing about a year ago, uh, Mm -hmm. that, that, that was in the mix and Ben remember you mentioning that. Yeah. Ben really, really, really hated that show (laughs) and I really, really enjoyed it. But then he also made me suffer through the hour and a half long John Wesley ship flash, which was rough (laughs) to say the least. I have that series as well. It's uh, I I would love to go back and attempt to watch it as a whole, but man, that was painful to get through. Oh, it, it, it's it's one of those things you have to be in the mood for it. Oh yeah, and it like I, it's sometimes when we do this show is a fun insight because now you get to see the art process of starting the show in the morning, which right. is dear God, I'm not awake. Please give me about another thirty minutes before we really start thinking. Right, um, right. But usually, there's the those random times where life just gets in the way, and you have to watch something very late at night. And watching mm-hmm. that Flash episode, uh, I started it not realizing it was almost two hours long, and I started that at about three in the morning. And oh. uh, 
so I finished that that episode at about five a.m. and had it recorded about nine. So I was uh, <laughs> I was very mentally fried. Yeah. So, but I happens. will I will say though, <laughs> watching the old Flash series when you see the Mark Hamill bits. Oh, it's so those good. those are fun to watch. Every time I watch Mark Hamill, like the Giver. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I I, I totally get you. I absolutely yeah. get you. All right. So Wes Craven, Swamp Thing. Yep. I'm gonna let you dive into this because you definitely have a lot of love for this film. So oh, yes. I, I want you to just full on dive in, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll sprinkle in my thoughts as we go. But uh, I think this is one you definitely need to leave because uh, just your knowledge of this right off the bat is uh, I think something kind of special. So. Well, I mean, and I even love the way, like, the film opens up, and I actually wrote this down so I wouldn't forget this, like how it opens up and it's got the writing on the screen that basically says, Not long ago, in the unexplored reaches of an unmapped swamp, the creative genius of one man collided with another's evil dream, and a monster was born. Too powerful to be destroyed, too intelligent to be captured. This being still pursues its savage dream. And I don't know why, but, like, right off the bat, like, when I see stuff like that, it makes me excited. It makes me know I'm going to laugh my ass off. And it just, it, especially, like, okay, like, I'm looking back on this in 2017. This came out in 1982 when Wes Craven was basically just starting to uh, become known. Like, like I said, like, Nightmare on Elm Street hadn't even come out yet. Um, he had only done Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, both Films, obviously, you know, huge staples in the horror community and whatnot. But he he really hadn't completely established himself yet. He was getting there. Um, and I don't know, like, and the colors. I got to mention also, like, going back, I know, and granted, we've watched, I, I watched the Blu-ray version. The colors are, like, they've done a fairly decent job re restoring this film, but the colors scream out at you when you see it says swamp thing on the, on like the title oh, card. I love that logo. I love the that logo, so much. the green, how it just like flashes like right out of the screen. So beautiful. Um, as I was saying, um, off my, uh, like off recording, uh, this is also the first film that Benjamin Melnicker and Michael E. Uslin would work together as producers for a DC property um and from that point on it's been full steam ahead all the way up till today i mean they're mm -hmm. still going at it um one other thing that i absolutely love about this film is the music music was done by harry manfrandini who most horror people would tell you right off the bat he's the guy who's done most of the music for the friday the 13th series um i think there's only like two films he didn't do he's pretty much done all the rest of them um yeah, yeah. And you hear like some of that when you when I was watching it again, I'm like, you know, I never noticed how like similar the music was to like the like original Friday the Thirteenth film, and even parts two and three. There's like some of the layers in there, and I was like, oh. And as a kid watching this, which I probably shouldn't have seen it as young as I did, but I did. Um, uh, I never actually paid attention to that stuff. Like I. Obviously, as an adult, we pay a lot more attention to who does what nowadays. Like, they might tell you that Marvel trained us to watch the end credits. Some of us were doing that a long time ago. Um, yeah. I, I think it's it's pretty commonplace. When you, you become a cinephile, you yes. you sit through the credits, and you're like, I recognize that name. Yeah, I know, oh, this person did this too. And it's great to be in the day and age we are now where we can go into a place like IMDb or Wikipedia and look at it and like, oh, 
This oh, person yeah. did this, 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 and this, and you fall down the rabbit hole of mm-hmm. going through these people's, you know, you know, cinema history, and you get to see some beautiful things. And I love watching some of these people evolve. Yeah, uh, you know, you we you mentioned Wes Craven. One of my favorites is uh, Sam Raimi, and going back to watching, you know, things like the original Evil Dead up to things that he's done in, you know, let's even say, you know, the Great and Powerful Oz. Yep. Uh, watching even the way he plays with shadows and things like that. Every dr- horror director, even people that were horror buffs and horror. Uh, you know, horror purists as far mm-hmm. as like these great directors that got their start there. I love watching their little ticks carry through their entire career, even when it's not a horror piece. It's funny you mentioned Raimi because I just watched Evil Dead 2 yesterday on Shudder. And just like watching the maybe what about 10, 15 minute segment in the middle there where like Bruce Campbell is basically fighting his own hand. And just, like, the way it was shot, the way it was acted and everything, like, Raimi just has, like, that... He's got that eye for, like, just the perfect angles and whatnot. And you sit there, and, I like, I'm watching that scene, I'm laughing my ass off, and at the same time, like, admiring, like, how, like, it holds up all the way till, like, now, 2017. And that came out, what, 87, I think, was Evil Dead 2? Yeah, yeah. Like, so you're talking 30 years. Yeah, and yeah. just the way, like, I mean, obviously some of it is dated. You can tell, like, by fashions and whatnot. But, I mean, it's true. Like you say, like, they, they kind of bring something with them to every film. Like, you look at Raimi's, like, Spider-Man series. Oh, um, Spider-Man 2. When you watch the transformations mm-hmm. with Doc Ock, you see old school classic Raimi in every oh, one of those definitely, sequences. definitely. Like, the moments of the tentacles coming up, and it's the mm-hmm. way that they go, and he just holds on it, and it's just a shadow, and that's all it's focused on on the screen, but it's these quick, fast-paced cuts, all yep. these things. And you see that style that came from Evil Dead uh, mm-hmm. carry through, and it's really kind of fun to watch that. And like you go to Wes Craven, and you look at now Swamp Thing, yeah. and the way Swamp Thing moves in and out of the swamps, appears behind yep. trees, stuff like that. And it's these quick movements, and it's it's not like you know like somebody like when you watch like Michael Myers, where it's this lingering moment. Yeah, it's pop in, pop out, and you see him do that. It's the same thing we see later with him with Freddy. Well, um, and yeah, and also like how Wes. One thing that I really loved about this film is how like he almost films Swamp Thing as if he's like the Sasquatch. Yeah, like it's almost like found footage, like. You see him like lingering through the swamps and then he disappears and there he is lingering and then he disappears. And it's like how it almost looks like it's like found footage of a Sasquatch. Like, you know what I mean? Um, And yeah, like you're saying how he does that with Freddy. Like, definitely. Like you get a lot of those visual looks. They all carry over very beautifully. Yep. Yep. Um, And uh, you were saying like how like. Uh, like the first 40 minutes of the film seem like they're, you know, I, I don't want to say they're more fun than the last like 50 minutes of it, but like you can see like the differences and whatnot. I do know that, um, and I believe it's in the DVD or Blu-ray commentary, like Wes Craven does state that, you know, um, w- in terms of the budget, they what they started off with and what ended up like they lost a lot of money pretty quickly. So as some of the shooting later on, there was a lot that he couldn't do that he wanted to do with this. Um, like, I'm trying to think of how to word this. Like, But he thought he had more money than he had, basically. 
Yeah, it's and, just that budget. That budget didn't carry as far as he hoped. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Um Which I mean, and I, like I, I comment, I commented to you earlier this morning. Like, I mean, Swamp Thing is basically a guy in a green rubber suit. Yeah, um, it's and it's it, it looks great at certain sequences. And any mo- any moment that they're in water, oof. yeah. <laughs> when you see the seams of it starting to bend and buckle and. Especially a, at certain points when he's walking and like, I mean, not to make this like completely crude and crass, but like, especially around these uh, certain man areas, uh, you really see the rubber just kind of like bending as he's walking. It's like, yeah, that doesn't hold up too well these days. Yeah, yeah, it's a little rough. And uh, that, that suit changes dramatically from uh, the you know original film to Return of Swamp Thing that happened in yes. 1989, which mm-hmm. is crazy to think that they... they decided to do a sequel seven years later or release one seven years later with heather locklear yeah yeah which was kind of interesting but that suit is dramatically and i mean dramatically different uh much closer to the traditional swamp thing that we know uh which we see Mm -hmm. more redefined when they do swamp thing the series which when i think three seasons yes Um, three seasons if anybody that's listening was you know about the same age as me and paul Mm -hmm. um if you've ever spent time at universal studios in florida Growing up, late '80s, early '90s, uh, Swamp Thing, the TV series set was in that park. Um, oh, I didn't a, even know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember when I was a kid. Uh, one of the first things we did uh, when that park first opened, it was the first couple months it was open. So Jaws was broken down, which broke my heart. Uh, yeah. Back to the Future wasn't even open yet, but there was there used to be a bridge right over by Amity, which is now I think um, Hog- Hogwarts or Hogsmeade. It's one of the two. Okay. Um, when you cross that bridge, that whole area, which is now Men in Black, actually, that's exactly where that area is. That okay. was the Swamp Thing series set. It was this giant swamp that they built, and they actually had, I think, if memory serves correctly, the animatronic um, of Swamp Thing that would pop up out of the swamp every once in a while throughout the day uh, that you could actually see. So did it's they have cool. the, did they have the arcane monster as well? I wish they did. Because <laughs> uh, watching this film, the Arcane Monster, really Ooh. does not hold up. <laughs> and a very different look for Anton Arcane. Very, oh, definitely. very different. Uh, he kind of looked like a uh, a Power Rangers uh, you know, prototype for a monster. You know, mm-hmm. And that was way early on. I mean, like you look oh, at yeah. that, he was kind of a... Kind of a a, a swamp rat, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I don't know what he was. Uh, a, a really bad werewolf? Yeah, like, yeah. Really bad? Like, we're not even... Like, American Werewolf in London, like, easily surpasses this. Um, uh, you know what? American Werewolf it, in London has a special place in my heart, and that's still... Oh, no, that, no, definitely. <laughs> but so. they were... If I remember correctly, it was, like, same year? Yeah, same year. I think they're both... Eight, or, uh, American Werewolf is either 81 or 82. Yeah, it's they're and, both, I think, 35, 36 years old. Yeah, yeah, so you figure, like, the comparisons between the two, it's like American Werewolf in London is, like, considered, like, one of the greatest transformation scenes ever. And then you have this, and they came out in, like, the same year. And even on top of that, you had Creepshow, which um, the lonesome, what is it, the lonesome life of Jordy Vorell or something like that with Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Uh, lonesome death of Jordy Vernell, where uh, he's he turns into that plant monster. After right. the the meteorite hits him and whatnot, that's actually more what I would have liked to have seen Swamp Thing kind of look like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
if they were going to go that way, I, you know, I'd rather them almost just put them in a ghillie suit and then, exactly. uh, maybe do some facial prosth- uh, prosthesis and just be done with it. Yeah. But this was, uh, this was an odd, odd, odd design for the character. It I mean, really you can was. See, you can see bits and pieces of them that definitely are classic Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Especially when you see him kind of hunched down. You, mm-hmm. you get that the back design going up the neck. All the yes. build is there. Yes. It's just the face is just so blank and all wrong. Yeah. It also, I mean, it, it, it's it, got it's got the shape but no texture. That's what it is. It's that, and it also like especially like in today in today's um, like with CGI and whatnot, you can have someone like a Mark Ruffalo, and you can turn Hulk to look like him. Um, back then, they had to use two different actors. Right. So you had yeah. Ray Wa- Ray Weiss or Wise or I've never pronounced his name right, but you had him playing Alec Holland, and then you had Dick Durock playing. Swamp Thing and Dick Durock was mainly a stuntman. Yeah. He was not even an actual actor. Um and I, I mean granted it doesn't hurt it horribly because you know he's like changed like from human to this Swamp Thing and whatnot. But it's like it just with having the CGI as much as I hate CGI in horror films having it today like you can do something like taking a Mark Ruffalo making him look like Hulk and it have like similar features so you think it's the same guy. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, and that's why I'm very excited and pray to God. Like, I always joke that Justice League Dark will never happen because we've seen it go through so many iterations of discussions for years and years and years. Ago. I Although know. Toro was talking about it for so long. I would just kill to see Swamp Thing on the big screen and see what they could do with him now. Um, I would have. And- I really wish NBC would have just stuck with Constantine and maybe even threw a Swamp Thing in there. Yeah, it would have been great to see. I you mean, know, but like, just think about it. if we could get it in today them doing a, a Swamp Thing in Justice League Dark, mm-hmm. uh, and then have it spit out into a new film. Because how amazing would it be to be see, to be able to see like the true looking Anton Arcane, like that yes. kind of skeletal version that like was working with the Nazis, and yes. uh, you know, then seeing things like the Parliament of Trees and talking mm-hmm. about the green and the rot, all these things that classic. And I, you know, it's kind of funny that we're talking about. Swamp Thing today, mm-hmm. uh, because we just lost uh, Len Wein just a, just a couple days ago. Yes, uh, and it was kind of a surprise because you and me talked about this over you know two weeks ago to do this mm. do this episode. Yeah, uh, which since Len has passed away, uh, and he was obviously and, the and creator. And Bernie Wrightson. Yeah, not that long ago as well. So the original creators of this character have passed, but I would love mm. to see them. Uh, have an opportunity to really celebrate what they did with that character, especially recently, because you know yeah. Len did did come back and write another run uh, of Swamp Thing, and it was yes, beautiful. Did. Yeah, uh, when the new Fifty Two relaunched, and it was one of the best Swamp Thing stories I think I've ever seen. And then uh, the final story it got before uh, after Len finished up went back to that seventies true classic body horror version yes. of Swamp Thing that was this short run but very beautiful. Uh, and it really encapsulated those old horror comics in the 70s. Uh, oh, yeah. But Len really did something amazing, and it was so amazing to see them take a risk and even do a film like this in 1982. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and on top of it being Wes Craven, who is more so known for like horror. And this one, I mean, it's got its horror elements, but it's almost, in a way, it's very sci-fi. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of different for him to do as well. Um, it's also one of the few DC films not released by Warner Brothers. Like, it, I think it might even be the only one. I'm not sure. But it was uh, Embassy Pictures that released it, not Warner Brothers, which is different in its own right. 
and yeah, there's and of course there's the fact that there's two different versions of it. There's an international and a U.S. theatrical version. Which, Do you know what the changes are between the two? Or uh, basically, the U.S. theatrical release was PG because the nude scenes are missing. Um, they took the nude scenes out. Something uh, I believe Adrian Barbeau's contract stated that any U.S. or uh, North American release, I should say. Uh, cannot have the extra footage of her in the. Uh, there's the bathing scene where she's in the swamp bathing. Yes, yeah, so, because um, I guess I did. I watched the international version then. I guess when I watched it, so. I've seen them both. Yes. Okay. Um, and Wes Craven himself, it was actually embarrassed by the whole thing. Um, he didn't even like asking Adrian Barboa to do the nude scene, but mm-hmm. uh, apparently for the European market, because the European market is a little less. Um, they're not as. Uh, they, they They're less prude. <laughs> so. ex- basically, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um. So they wanted to have, uh, you know, her showing her breasts a little bit more than they did in the American version. Um, and like, uh, I think it's the Blu-ray commentary where uh, Wes Craven even said, like, he was. It felt very awkward going up to Adrian Barbeau and saying it, but um, she had it put in her contract that uh, North American release couldn't. Um, they couldn't release it, which actually there was a huge problem. Uh, I believe in 2000, uh, there was actually the DVD was released and the international version was accidentally put on there as opposed to the North American one. Mm. And so I I guess I, I don't know the full story. I guess there was uh, a parent actually complained, which then it got wind more parents complained. Um, MGM ended up pulling the DVD and then re-releasing it in 2002. And then I know Scream Factory, they just re-released it, I think it was 2010. Um, but again, it's the 91-minute version without the nude scenes. Okay. Um, basically, if you want to see the your, uh, the international one, um, refer to your local internet. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> because you're you're gonna have a hell of a time trying to find it. Even like if you look on the internet, like at like eBay and all this, if you want it, you're gonna be paying an arm and a leg for it. Um, it was like trying to get Ed Wood years and years and years ago on uh, Blu-ray and or yeah. not even Blu-ray on DVD. Well, that used to be a nightmare. Yeah, I, I yeah, but yeah, I guess uh, the version that I got to watch was definitely the international version. Then, so <laughs> so yeah, I've seen them both. I've seen and there's also uh, not only her bathing scene, but there's the scene in the club. Um, with like the the mili- military guys or whatever that are working with Arcane, mm-hmm. uh, they're it's basically a strip joint. Uh, yeah, they're yeah. like fondling the women and whatnot. Um, but I mean, like w- without it, it doesn't hurt the film. But if you wanted to see like the full thing, uh, your local internet will help you out with that. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Uh, now, like I said, we, you and me both talked about that. You know, the first 40 minutes of this movie were mm-hmm. definitely the, the highlight. Um, yeah. You know, and then we see a, kind of a weird pacing shifts and things like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, but I will say the setup in the beginning of this, though, feels so wonderfully done. It's so beautiful. It looks oh, so yeah. great. I love. But what really makes this movie is I adore the transformation sequence when we see Alec you know, have the formula thrown on him where, mm-hmm. you know, it explodes, you know, he bursts into flames and he's running out and he dives into the swamp. Yep. And you see, I love that look where it's the explosions going off in the swamp from the, the formula. And, yep. you know, 
that mist and those clouds and that green and purple smoke coming around. And it looks so good. It I does. I love that sequence. And it looks amazing even today. There's something about yeah. it that's eerie and it's got this mystical feel to it. And it works so well for this character. I also like the fact that they don't like he doesn't have the transformation and they show it to you right then. They make you wait a bit for it. Like they tease you with it. And I kind of actually like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have hated it if they had like shown him like transforming in the swamp. And then we saw it right away, and then you see it for the rest of the film. Like, I kind of like that they teased it a little. Like, you see him disappear into the swamp. You see, like, the explosions going off and whatnot. But you don't actually see the full swamp thing till like, what, about 20 minutes later? Yeah, like, it's, a, it's a good bit. It, it's it's the Jaws factor. Sometimes yes. it's better not to show. Uh-huh. Uh, and then you lead into it. But you even mentioned it, too. It's kind of like there's a Sasquatch vibe to it. But you know what? I just yeah. thought of, too. This film ultimately feels a little bit of a Sasquatch film and Tarzan kind of mixed together. Yep, yep, definitely. And it works. I think it definitely works. Like I said, the nostalgia of this film is really kind of fun and wonderful. It's super silly. It's super cheesy. But that first, like I said, that first 40 minutes, if they maybe altered their path of what they would have done, Mm -hmm. uh, I think this could have actually been something drastically different and really amazing. But. For Alec Collins' story, I think they did a really good job here. I think West did an amazing job of telling a great story 35 years ago mm. before he even really had his feet wet. So, And, well, he had a good actor playing Alec Holland, too. He and really I think, did. I think Ray Weiss, like, he he brought something to that character as well. And I think that's... He was suave. He was very suave. Exactly. Like, I, and I think that's why those first 40 minutes seem so much better. Like, And, again, I'm not taking away from Dick Durock... But he was a stunt guy. He yeah. wasn't an actual trained actor or even just an actor, period. Like, he was a stunt guy. So, I, again, like, I, I don't want to, like, take away from him. He did the best he could. And, I mean, it, he's, like, basically a dude in a rubber suit. So, I get it. But it's just Ray Weiss. I think his charisma and, like you said, like, his, his suave uh, character is definitely what makes that first 40 minutes so much more fun. Yeah, yeah, I really agree. And, uh, you know, like I said, but it is fun to watch the end of that movie with, you know, Bruno turning into this, you know, awkward little monkey person or whatever oh, the hell it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. then Anton Arcane turning into the weird, like, sw- like you know, swamp rat, almost wombat, whatever he oh, is, yeah. possum monster. Beast um, Man from He Man? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, yeah, it was just a mess. God damn. Yeah. Uh, but when you watch it though, it's hard not to just laugh out loud. It was like, you know, when I finished watching, it was about two in the morning. Uh, and I was like, this is just, this is hard and wonderful and I can't look away. It is this beautiful train wreck. That's so much fun, but it talks so much about what horror used to be. Uh, and it celebrates it in a big, bad way, but it does something fun for, for old DC cinematic lore and history. So, oh yeah. Well, I, and when I did my rewatch of it, it was like after I had had a rough night at work. And so I came home in the morning and made some food, and I was like, ah, let's let's watch this, you know, like uh, reacquaint myself with it. And I was kind of glad I did because it completely picked up my mood and had me laughing my rear end off. So it, it was definitely worth it. Um, but I, I and also the nostalgia factor. I think like I didn't see it in '82. I think I saw it. I was probably in high school when I finally saw it. So around like '90, 90, '91 was when I eventually finally saw it. And I just remember, like, just loving it. Um, mm-hmm. I knew it was bad. I don't care. I, I watched some of the worst movies there are out there. <laughs> uh, 
if, for anyone who may know the movie Spookies, this is a movie that halfway through the middle of it, it forgets what it's telling. It, it just, <laughs> they had two directors. Uh, one director started off telling one story, and then the movie went into development hell, basically. They brought in another director to finish it up and clean it up, and he told a completely different story, and this movie makes no sense, and I love it. <laughs> it's sometimes it's movies like that like troll 2 it's, it's, oh, it's yes. a hard 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 movie oh yeah but you can't look away and it's fun sometimes things like that just make your night yep. change your mood can do so much for you yeah well i think that pretty much wraps up our talk on swamp thing but while i have you on on the show mm-hmm. uh because you're such a horror buff i i have to ask mm-hmm. what is your what are your top three favorite horror films top three that is like the hardest question to answer, but <laughs> I'll put it to you this way: I'll gi- I'll tell you the top three that I've watched the most. Um, okay, that doesn't, works. Doesn't necessarily mean they're my favorites, but right. the ones that I've watched the most: um, Return of the Living Dead. I've probably oh, so good. I, I have probably watched that movie more than any other movie in my lifetime. Um, and I've had it on VHS. I still have the DVD. I have it on Blu-ray. I have the soundtrack on vinyl. Um, like I live, breathe that movie. Um, John Carpenter's Halloween. I mm-hmm. definitely have to throw that one in there. Um, although it's not my favorite Carpenter film. The thing is easily my favorite Carpenter oh, film. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and probably I'm trying to think what other, well, Night of the Living Dead was the first film, a uh, first horror film I ever watched. And I saw it at a very young age of about four years old. Um, so I, I'm probably gonna have to throw that in there simply just because I have watched it every year. Um, I, I, like when Halloween rolls around, I go through like massive horror movie binging, and that one is always included. Um, so yeah, I'd probably have to say like those three. Um, Absolutely, that's they're great choices. It's kind of yeah. funny though too because you, whenever you, you anybody mentions Night of the Living Dead on one of these shows mm-hmm. where I record, is I'm actually sitting underneath. Uh, it, it was the remake that was done by Savini. Oh uh, my the, god, that movie's amazing. Uh, I, I'm actually sitting underneath a, a beautiful mat of that signed by uh, Tom Savini. Oh, uh, <laughs> I am so uh, where, jealous. Where, where I live, um, you know, if if you're a Savini fan. Mm. Um, I live, uh, me and Ben live very close to Allentown, which is where Savini teaches. That's oh, where his nice. school's at. So I, there was a part of me for all my life. I'm like, I really want to go there. And then I saw the tuition. I'm like, nope, I'm good. <laughs> so, yeah, but that, I've had the pleasure of meeting him a few times. And uh, yeah, Savini is amazing. That Savini remake. And I know people might slaughter me for saying this, but the Zack Snyder remake of Dawn of the Dead. Fantastic. Are two of my favorite remakes. Ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, like, I really think Zach, that's where, you know, uh, I I really heard his name for the first time. And I'm like, this was something kind of cool and special. Yeah. Um. So I agree with you. But yeah, you mentioned the thing, though, too. One of my absolute favorite horror films of all time. Uh, Trick or Treat, still another one of mine as well. Trick or Treat uh, you, is great. Oh, yeah. You and me were talking beforehand, talking yeah. about Creep Show. Uh, wonderful films. Uh, and as far as new, new School still, I love The Descent. Uh, incredibly underrated horror film that I, I've watched way too many times. Uh, um, probably uh, more recent movies. Uh, my top three would have to be Last Shift with uh, Juliana Harkavy, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that one. The Void. Uh, came I have not out. seen that yet. Everybody oh, keeps telling me that's amazing. Dude, watch it. It's amazing. Okay. Um, 
and Baskin, which is a Turkish horror film, um, subtitled. But we were talking about Constantine and how it uh, depicts hell and how it was a nice representation of what hell would look like. Uh, Watch Baskin, and you will see what hell looks like. And I'll tell you, if that's what hell looks like, I sure as hell don't want to (laughs) go. A little bit brutal on the gory side, but... um, See, gore is fine. It's torture is where I I have my line in horror, so... There's a small amount of it, but it's done well. Like, and that's the thing. I can handle like like Texas Chainsaw Massacre has some nice torture scenes in there, mm-hmm. but if done right, and especially if you don't show everything, you know, it's let... it, it's it, when it's not in your face. Like I said, you know, like right. the first film is a great um, thriller, but it, it immediately turns like that hostile stuff, like that go to torture porn. Yeah, it's just like how extreme can we make these sequences and make people feel uncomfortable? That's never been horror in my eyes. So. Yeah, like the Saw films. The first three, I think, are probably the three best. And everything after that, it was just, it got ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very hard to watch, at least for me. Um, and not very hard to watch that I was squeamish or anything, but I just felt like, okay, you're trying too hard now. Yeah, um, yeah. I, you're losing me, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. No, I'm right there with you. But yeah, there's some amazingly wonderful, beautiful movies out there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know. I always joke like Slither is one of those other ones that just always just stands out as in the that's last 15 a, years. That's a fun one. That's yeah. a fun one. It, like when I went over the top, campy Slither and Dead Alive are like the best double feature you can throw together this time of year. <laughs> so throw Society in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Good Society, film, good film. the last 20 minutes are the most effed up shit you will ever see. <laughs> it's like, the movie's like, it, I'll be honest, like the movie's actually boring up to the, like the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Like, you're kind of like, okay, whatever. Um, you fiddle on your phone and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, the last 20 minutes hit and you're like completely glued going, what the Am I watching here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of funny though too because even before we started, you mentioned you just finished watching Virus. Yeah, and I'm like, wow, that's a that's going back into a movie that I, I my brain tried to forget about. But then I was just kind of like, you know what? There was some cool stuff in there though. Oh, there was. Yeah, S- and again, with, uh, Event Horizons, another one. It's you know what that movie's got a special place in my heart. Yep. I don't know why, but it, it it's such a fun film. Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right, well, now, as far as any other DC horror stuff, now, is there anything out there, aside from Justice League Dark, you would love to see get a, like, a, a real good adaptation, film-wise or animated? Um, I'll be honest. This is gonna. This might sound like it's coming out of nowhere. I don't know. Etrigan the Demon. Oh, Jason Blood story. That would be great. I would, I would love, love to-, to see that done live action. Yeah, it would be really cool if they especially went into his past and we saw him as the knight. Yes. Uh, and get the curse. So we could go back to like those medieval times versus Morgan Le Fay and all this stuff and then jump to present day. That mm-hmm. could be really an amazing story to see on screen. Oh, yeah, definitely. Or if like, um, and I mean, they don't, I don't even think they make them anymore, but like some of the old uh, like terror tales, do your own anthology, um, like DC, I mean, like mm-hmm. there was some of those old comics uh, and God, I don't have any of them anymore, but I remember as a kid, I had a few. Um, because like EC comics did creep show and creep show one and two, you and I both agreed like they're, they're fun movies. Yeah. I'd like to see DC do something that's not superhero related. Yeah. It would be really fun to see them take a risk and do something like that. It would be really cool to see them dive in and, you know, to say, Hey, 
we've got this great, beautiful list of characters. Like, I'd love to see a DC anthology film. That's yeah, come like up with DC, something unique. DC had Elvira's House of Mystery. Um, yeah, <laughs> and you wow. know, as, as, yeah, as as campy as that is, but again, it would be cool to see something outside of the superhero genre. Don't get me wrong; I love my superheroes just as much as everyone else, but. I'd like to see them do something else, if you know what I mean. Like, especially like they're talking about they're going to be doing a one-off Joker film that's not tied to the DCEU. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if they're I, willing to do that kind of banner where they have their outside films outside exactly. of the EU, take some risks, do some cool things. Yeah, do like you know, beware the terror tales or weird mystery or something. Do an anthology uh, film, like because we haven't had a good anthology film in quite a bit. If yeah, I, mean, I think honestly, I I even stated it before. Trick or Treat, I think was the last good anthology yes. film that exists. And out that there was right now. 2007, so that's 10 years. Yeah, and we know that you know Michael Doherty is working on the sequel, but mm-hmm. I think until that comes out, I think we have a long wait. So yeah, exactly. But yeah, all right. Well, one other thing I figure we have to do because it's important okay. uh, is uh, now. We have differing opinions on quite a bit of stuff out there with this stuff. So I want to give you an opportunity to, you know, state your opinions on some of the things we've talked about on the show as far as maybe recent releases, seasons, things like that. Because especially as we're getting ready for the new seasons to start, we're only just a couple weeks out, less than a month now at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I figured maybe you might want to take an opportunity to kind of dive in a little bit, give people a taste of Bats, Bows, and Books. Um, you know, some of your opinions and thoughts. So that way we can also drive some people over to your, your end of the world too. And uh, go yeah. from there. Yeah. Bats, Bows and Books podcast uh, started uh, a little over a year ago. As a matter of fact, I started Independence Day of 2016. Um, and it was intentionally, uh, or in- I should say intended, sorry, to be um, a Batman and Green Arrow podcast. That's all it was supposed to be. Uh, it's it's branched out um kind of done its own thing and now it's basically about everything that's pop culture um and i talk i you guys have listened to the show you know i've i talk about everything from comic books to horror films vinyl records um comic books uh you anything that's pop culture pretty much uh with the exception of i'm not into like boy bands or that kind of crap like you can keep your you know um like your Lindsay Lohans and your Taylor Swifts and all that. I don't talk about, I don't talk about that shit. Um, I like talking about the stuff that like 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 the geeks and nerds go nuts over, you know, because that's basically what I am. I'm more a horror nerd than anything else. But I mean, I love my comic book characters. I love you know video games. I've talked. It was funny. You guys did the Arkham um, episode last week. And I've reviewed all four games, including Origins, on my podcast in separate episodes. Um, yeah, I, I loved your uh, your your some of your recent stuff that you've done with that, and I've gone back and checked out yeah. your Arkham Knight one and all. Yeah, it was uh, really fantastic reviews on those. Yeah, and and it's funny, like you guys were. It, I'll be like kind of like the fourth guy here. Um, you guys each had your favorite game. Mine's actually Arkham Origins. Fantastic. That's great. Um, that, I love the fact that all of us had our own separate one. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, okay, I really wish it would have been Kevin Conroy doing the voice for that game. I understood why it wasn't. Um, but for some reason, I have always loved the element of a gothic Batman 
against a Christmas background. I don't know why. Like, Christmas with a Joker is my favorite animated episode of Batman the Animated Series. And I don't know what it is. There's just something about Batman at Christmas time I love. Like, Batman Returns, I feel, is very underrated. It's a beautifully visual... uh, Like, that movie visually is just gorgeous. I love watching that. Oh, my God. I love that movie so much. And don't get me wrong. I love the original, like the 1989 one. Yeah, I mean, you know what, like, too, and it, it gave us Paul Rubens as uh, as a mm-hmm. cobblepot, and just love seeing him as yep. a father, and I love that they tapped into that during Gotham. Yep. Um, but it, basically, yeah, like my podcast is just it's I pick a topic and I talk about it each week. Uh, sometimes I have guests on, uh, primarily my sister, who probably can talk even more than I could. Um, <laughs> she loves to talk. Um, and she knows video games. She's the gamer. Uh, she she knows her video games. Um, I play Arkham games and Injustice, and that's about as far as that goes. Uh, and, well, some of the horror games. I do like the Dead Rising series. Um, I tried playing Evil Within. I sucked at it, so I gave up. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, that's pretty much, like, what my podcast is about and it, you know you can find it on itunes google stitcher uh podbean um and yeah it just it, it's been a learning process for me like i i try to tell people now like if they're like oh i want to check out your podcast don't listen to the first episode please um oh no no <laughs> the first episode of anybody's show is always always weird it, it, uh unless unless you've done podcasts before it sometimes it's really hard to step into because you're finding oh, yeah. your groove like you even go back to this one the first mm-hmm. episode it's okay <laughs> so yeah but it's it's not what we do now i mean like no. it's hard to find a flow what you want to do all those little things but uh you know we've been actually trying to get you to do a horror show for next level now uh so uh, i really hope that does happen in the future because uh, you know your your knowledge of horror is just just amazing and fun to listen to so well i really really hope that does happen i'd so. like to i and i have talked with you about it i will be talking with ben about it um I'd like to have that thing running by Halloween for sure. That would um, be amazing. Because to be completely honest, Bats, Bows, and Books podcast, I love doing. I I, I believe we're almost at episode 50 now. Um, but horror is where my heart is at. Like I've, I was probably that kid that shouldn't have been watching them, that was sneaking watching them. And uh, like growing up as a kid, we used to uh, – I'm, I'm from Windsor, Ontario in Canada – uh, so we're right across the border from Detroit and we used to get a lot of the Detroit TV programming. And every year for two weeks in October, they would have what was called Shocktober. And I never missed it when it was airing. Like every night at eight o'clock, they had a different movie. And on Friday nights, they would have double features. So it'd be like Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. Um, but like I never missed any of those, like probably going back to let's see i think i started watching that around 83 84 um and like that's how i like i saw night of the living dead i saw the original dracula with bella lugosi um i'm trying to think friday the 13th was obviously a, a big pick of theirs poltergeist um and i don't know like it's it's weird with me i'm like this weird person that like i like to be scared i don't know why uh, there's something fun about it. There always is. You I, know, it's that a little adrenaline that you can get yes. sometimes from that. It gives you this great little push. 
and there's nothing great about being scared, especially as an adult. Yes. Uh, when it's something that you can allow your imagination to really take hold. Uh, because it's something that's easy to lose. And I think horror is one of those things that really can tap into that. And it's something special. Oh, definitely. And l- exactly like you said, like the adrenaline, the blood flowing, the anticipation, the holy shit, my anxiety is like through the roof, but I don't want it to stop. It's it's a weird yeah. thing with me, but like I love that. Like, And even going, it, even going back to comic books, like my first comic book was Batman number 303. Uh, the, uh, the title for that one, I believe was Batman's great identity switch. The weird thing about that book is it scared the shit out of me (laughs) because the character in it, it was a one-off villain, the Dodo man. He's never been done again. It was this one book and that's it. But he looked like a mix between the tall man and the preacher from Poltergeist 2. Hmm. Very creepy. And as a kid, I was, well, I was three years old when I got that book, um, I remember like having it when I was like seven and eight. So like, I mean like a couple years later, the book scared me yet. I loved it, but the cover, it's got like Batman's looking almost like completely scared. You've got this guy with two tomahawks and you only see the back of them and it's very creepy looking and whatnot. And I remember being scared to death of that book. And yet it was like my favorite comic book at the same time. I love when you have those moments when there's that one book that you can always go back to. Yeah. And- um, it's always something special, and I, I really love – that's the beautiful thing about comics is it can do everything between action, drama, uh, romance, oh, yeah. and horror all in these amazing, beautiful ways, which translates great to these shows that we talk about, these films we talk mm-hmm. about, um, and what we get excited about for things that are still to come. So- oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, like just when it comes to the DCEU and – no offense, Ben, I love you, you know that. But <laughs> when he goes on about how he doesn't care for Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman and like his feelings towards it, it's not he doesn't care about it, but his feelings towards it. I kind of differ I, I differentiate from that. Like I, I'm different. I like the fact that there's a darker story tone going here, that the Justice League has to work their way up to being the heroes we know and love. Um and I, like- well, I think that's like you know, Marvel is an instant gratification, and I'm, yes. I'm very, I want to see where the DCEU ends up. I'm still willing to give it as many shots as it needs. Yeah, well, Wonder Woman definitely showed that it's now turning the corner. It is, and oh, God, it was such a beautiful movie. Gets released on Blu-ray this week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I'll be buying it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know what, I, I like I said, Man of Steel, I think there's only two small things that I differ with. And I do understand, especially because, you know what, with comic book characters, it's really easy for people to have hard opinions on their versions. Because yeah. these characters have been written by so many different people. Mm-hmm. And that version, that Batman 303 that you read, yeah. whoever the writer was, and that version of Batman is your Batman. And somebody that picks up Batman from the 60s, that's their version of Batman. Yeah. I love that these characters can touch everybody from every age, and there's different versions that all will fit at least everyone that's out there Yeah, that wants to give these characters a shot. And I think that's great, and I think it's also what what's amazing is people are passionate about the versions of the characters that they love. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with that note, let's hit the news. We'll do some recommendations, and we should get out of here. So, okay. All right, so let's dive over. We're going to talk some TV stuff first. Uh, we're going to start with some Flash. Uh, now, there wasn't a ton of major news this week, but a couple of notable things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have seen our first promo of uh, The Flash for this season showing the actual return of Barry Allen. We've seen uh, an earlier promo from a couple weeks back 
This time we are seeing, uh, seeing a bearded Barry as he comes out of the Speed Force looking very somber. Uh, uh, like a man who has definitely seen some shit. So. Might actually look his age. Yeah, yeah. He always I looks mean, so damn young. He does. But like when we even that single shot that they released from Entertainment Weekly, he looks like I think the Barry Allen we know, and I think we're gonna see a very different Barry. And they've even been saying that. Mm-hmm. Uh and actually I'll even read uh what Grant Gustin had to say about this is that initially Barry is very scrambled when he comes out of the Speed Force. He's not himself. He's talking nonsense. When he was in the Speed Force, his experience uh, he experienced his whole life laid out in front of him from start to finish. So in some sense, he comes out very wise, kind of knowing everything, but has no understanding of what he's seen. So he comes out just jumbled and talking what he thinks makes complete sense, but it's all nonsense to the rest of the crew. Right. Um, so it, I, I love that idea. This is very something very different, very special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then going on a little bit more, uh, this is coming from Andrew Kreisberg. It says, yeah, it's not in the titles, but uh, every one of these shows, whether it's Supergirl, Arrow, or Flash, it's really like Arrow Begins, Flash Begins, and Superman Begins. Now it's season four, and he's really become the Flash in the comic uh, from the comic books, the one who really is in full mastery of his skills and has the, the emotional maturity that he has in the comic uh, comics. So mm-hmm. that's the Barry and the Flash we're getting this season. So I'm very excited to see how this plays out because we know Andrew Kreisberg has been a big proponent of making the show what it is. So I think season four could be something very special. Kreisberg and Berlani have done some absolutely amazing work with these shows. They really have. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, um, with this as well, uh, there also was a couple shots out there of the new suit. Uh, we had some issues trying to post that to our website. Uh, I, I think the original article was pulled down, uh, but I'm sure it's out there. If uh, So just keep your eyes peeled if you're hunting for news. There's a great shot of the suit sitting in Star Labs missing the emblem. So, uh, But the new suit looks very similar to the one that we saw in the Once in Future Flash. But uh, make sure you keep your eyes out for that one. So, uh, Jumping over, we'll talk a little bit of Supergirl and specifically the character of Rain. Uh, this is uh, something that did release this week where we found out a little bit more about what to expect for the character. Uh, and I apologize, but the page that I was reading from is not loading. Give me one second here. Let's see if we can make that work. Okay. So... Pretty much what we know is for Rain, they said it's going to be a very, very heartbreaking story. They said, uh, you know, in the comics, we don't really know much about who she is. It's very a surface level, and they said they're trying to go much deeper with the character. Uh, she doesn't really understand her heritage and who she is. Uh, so this is kind of like her just kind of diving in for the first point. Uh, and then this is uh, basically when we meet her, they said she's just a woman. Her name is Samantha, and she's a single mother. She has no idea that she is actually Rain. So this is something that she's going to dive into it. Uh, she has no idea that she was a baby in the pod at the end of last season. So the journey she takes this season is watching her realize her heritage and watching how it manifests. Uh, when we were figuring out, they said, when, uh, continuing, when we were figuring out Rain, one thing we've never really seen in any of these shows uh, is we've never seen in this big bad becoming the big bad. So they, they said this is something very special that they're going to do in the season of Supergirl. I'm uh, I'm kind of hoping that Supergirl redeems itself a bit. Um, of the four shows, that was the one that kind of disappointed me last season. Yeah, I, I do agree. I think they did some really wonderful things. They got the cast where it needed to be, the writing where it needs to be. They still have a hard time with their execution of the season, though. Yes. Uh, they, they did a beautiful job, and I think one of the best interpretations we've ever seen of uh, Clark Kent on screen. I oh, mean, God, yeah. There. I think right there with Christopher Reeves and almost maybe edging him out just a little bit. I think he was almost flawless. As, Tyler as, Hodgland was 
beautifully, beautifully uh, did a beautiful job on what they did with him. Oh yeah, so. as much as I do love uh, Henry Cavill as Superman, Tyler Hoshlin was better. He was the best he, embodiment of that character I've ever seen. He was better. I, I will not deny that at all. He was perfect. Yeah, and I really would love to see him be involved in this crossover this year. <laughs> that would be the best thing in the world. He better be. He so. better be. Uh, now, a little bit more Supergirl. We know we're also going to be seeing the character in the name of Bloodsport, like an old DC character named Bloodsport, joining into uh, the, uh, I think, one of the first episodes. Um, nice. It's actually, we see a little bit of him in the new promo as well, so that is posted on our page if you haven't got a chance to check that out. There's a there's a way to do so. Uh, jumping over to Arrow, we'll talk real lightly here. There wasn't a ton that's come out yet. I'm sure we'll get some information from Ben when he comes back. Uh, you know, we know he was speaking to a couple of the cast members this weekend. Um but one of the things that they did talk about a little bit is one thing everybody's been trying to figure out is flashbacks. And they said 100% flashbacks are not going anywhere. They're always been a part of the series. Uh, and they said, but what they're doing actually is getting rid of this serialized flashback. So they said, do not expect a story to be told at all throughout the flashbacks that is ongoing throughout the series. This is more of them going back and talking about stories that work for other characters. Maybe some things with Arrow filling in gaps in time that are maybe missing, that maybe fill out some old stories a little bit more, but add to what's currently happening the way that they always have. But they definitely said, we will be seeing this you know, impact all characters, not just Oliver. Just make so. sure just make sure the wigs are gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't need those anymore. Yeah, yeah. But I think, uh, I, I think we're going to see something kind of cool out of this coming season. Oh, yeah, so. definitely, definitely. All right, so uh, there's there's one thing we definitely need to talk about, which was a photo that made its way online just a few days ago. Uh, and they did say this is indeed for the crossover. Uh, and this will specifically be in the Legends Hour of the crossover. So getting close to the uh, end of the story, because we do know the way that it plays out this year for the crossover, which I'm really excited about. It's a two-night event. Starting with Supergirl at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, we dive right into Arrow with the following night, 8 o'clock, Flash, 9 o'clock, Legends. Uh, so we basically get this beautiful, beautiful, you know, this two-hour-long movie. Or not two-hour, four, almost four-hour-long film. Kind of like um, a miniseries. Yeah, it's just wonderfully done. But in uh, Legends, we saw a sculpt of uh, something kind of amazing. And it looks like we're going to see the Sandman. From the JSA. Yep. And it looks gorgeous. It's such a great updated design on the character. I really, really love what they're doing. And I love the fact that Guggenheim tweeted it out and said, hey, uh, coming soon, guys. So looks like we're going to maybe see a little bit of JSA in the mix here. And I think it could be something quite fantastic. Uh, but let's talk about a show, though, also we haven't gotten a chance to talk too much about. Because still so much is coming out about it bit by bit. Uh, that is the Titan show. Uh, but... More specifically, we have now found out who the Titans will be facing. And it's actually a deep cut from Young Justice. Uh, and that is a character by the name of the Acolyte. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like that is going to be our big bad of their season. Uh, for, for those of you that don't know, uh, the Acolyte uh, is a blue-skinned horned demon who, uh, who boasts of having a wide array of mystic powers before the Young Justice team discovers that he's really a human who's cleverly used tricks and prosthetics to make himself appear that way. Uh, now, this is going to be something interesting because this is a character that really, again, was a was only around in just this one or two stories. It was an odd cut for them to go into, but uh, 
I'm very curious to see how he plays uh, plays out. But it sounds like his uh, motivations, and we know a little bit about his character, is that it is a male African-American and between 40 and 50 year, years old, very confident, and is the villain of the story. He is after Rachel and her powers, trying to kidnap her after he murders her mother. Now, Rachel, as we know, I think from this is kind of being plotted out, is basically our raven. So it's uh, I'm very curious on how they're doing it. They're still using code names in this plotting, so I'm very curious to see how this, you know, works out but uh we know uh the mother character for raven is a uh, female in between her 40s and 50s and then rachel's adoptive mother she gets killed in an attempt to kidnap her uh so we know that's the story that's going to play out i'm sure we're going to see trigon play into the mix in here somehow as well mm-hmm. uh and i'm really curious to see how hawk and dove come into this mix as well so Definitely. i'm very excited to see where the show goes but uh you know, we know this is the DC streaming service. Paul, I know you said you're a little concerned because being yes, in Canada, uh, if it's going to be available. Uh, if not, I, we promise you, uh, we will we will help you find a way. I'm sure not. the local internet will store will help me. <laughs> yes. But yeah, as a, on behalf of all Canadians, please make this something that Canada can get to. Uh, like, but hey, as an American, uh, we need more Tim Hortons out here. So, <laughs> so <laughs> oh, we've got them on every street corner. You can come, I know come you grab do. a we, few. <laughs> unless we're up, uh, up, you know, like we can see them sometimes in New York and things like that. But yeah, yeah where we are, man. I know I Detroit. Detroit's Hortons. got quite a few of them. I know that. I've been to Detroit more than enough times. And they're all they're <laughs> yeah, all for- the way around. For us, man, like I, I will happily give you the DC streaming service if we can get more board game cafes, okay, and uh, <laughs> and uh, if we can get more Tim Hortons, then I'll be a happy man. Sure. So, so we'll do it. We'll do a trade. We'll do an international agreement. Uh, I don't know how that's gonna play out for me because my country's getting in a, is in a weird place right now. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, all right. So let's I know, dive if, into some... if if I could, I'd bring all oh, of you. Absolutely. I'd bring all of you to my country and save you all, but. <laughs> I... I, I would be okay with that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's you, you, Canada is a very, very amazing place. I, me and my wife love it there. If we could transport our friends there, we would probably be living in Toronto or Ottawa. Absolutely. Toronto, so. Toronto's nice. A little busy, but it's nice. Not city-wise. I'd say right no. outside of the city. Oh, but yeah, Toronto is a city, man. Definitely. Man, that's an amazing place to be. It is. It is. Uh, especially, man, the food in Toronto. My friend used to live up there, and he always said, he's like, you know what? He's like, the best way to find food in Toronto is stand in the, on a street corner, spin around in a circle, and walk 10 minutes, and you'll probably find something fantastic. That's so. pretty much it. <laughs> so he's, that's he's the way not to be. wrong. He's not no. wrong. Very true. All right, now let's jump into. We'll do some quick movie discussion. Very light on that as well this week, but uh, okay. some cool things here. Uh, now we finally, and everybody's been waiting for it. It's officially confirmed. Patty Jenkins has signed on to direct Wonder Woman two. We all knew it was going to happen, and we're all very, very happy it's happening Yay! because she did such a great job. I know it made me squeal when I saw it too. Oh yeah, very excited. Uh, and I, I'm really wondering now if she's really going to go forward and do that whole idea of Diana in the '80s because uh, that would be just awesome. I'd love to see that. So it's a wait and see. Uh, Speaking of, though, some, uh, as you talked about Man of Steel recently uh, in this discussions, uh, the Kingsman director, such a good film, and I can't wait for uh, the sequel. But Matthew Vaughn is apparently in talks with Warner Brothers to take the reins of Man of Steel 2. And man, that would be such a great, great director's choice to take over that film. I would love to see it. But uh, again, still rumors at this time. So, guys, take that with a grain of salt. But. It'll be, uh, I think it could be quite fantastic. I'll be honest. The, the Kingsman was a, like a film I didn't know I wanted, and once I had it, I wanted more. 
Yeah, I was like, wow, this is everything I've wanted from just an over-the-top James Bond film. Exactly, right? I'm not a big James Bond guy. I I, I have a lot of friends that do. Uh, There's something about it that's just never resonated with me in the right way. Mm -hmm. But that movie is like, that's what I want out of a spy film. Exactly. Yeah, so... All right, so uh, a little bit of talk about uh, some flash in the film world. So uh, we did get this as far as uh, uh, some comic lore that we know will never make its way. So you know, and they said in the comics, Barry got a suit from uh, from within a ring and is frequently used uh, used the speed force to change the molecules of whatever he's wearing into his flash costume. They said that is not going to happen here, guys. So we will not see the flash suit come out of a ring at all in this world. Um, they said he's a scientist. He's you know clever, and you know this is something very different. Um, so they said it's very hard for us to do this, but this version of this character in this universe is not going to be that. But there's going to be other cool things. But they said do not expect that, uh, which makes me very sad. I'm still waiting for it for Barry to be doing that normally uh, this coming. I hope they do it this season. Yeah, uh, I, th- uh, I think the TV universe is where we're going to get that. Yeah, we saw saw the reverse flash pull at once, but yeah. Uh, yep. To wait and see. I, I think, yeah, the DCEU is going to be a different place for it. Yeah. Uh, but going into another film that we haven't heard much about yet, too, uh, Chris McKay came out a little bit more and talked about uh, DC allowing the, uh, the you know, auteurs and directors to be very director-driven versus Marvel. I guess he said, uh, you know, he had some discussions with, uh, the, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe back in 2008. Uh, and, you know, they said, uh, you know, Kevin Feige and him had were looking at trying to do some things, but when he was approached by Warner Brothers and was given the opportunity to do Nightwing, he said, you know, Warner Brothers is a very director-driven studio, period. The end. No question about it. Uh, he's like, more than any other studio you're going to get to work at, just look at the roster of the world-class filmmakers making films at Warner Brothers right now, and they made it their home. Warner Brothers is a director-driven studio. It's always been that way, which is why sometimes there are issues and people see things very differently. But that's kind of how they're operating you now with the DCEU. Uh, he's like, it's the kind of filming that you're going to see going forward, and you've seen it now with Patty Jenkins on Wonder Woman, McKay continued. That's what they've done, and that's what they're going to continue to do. They found their groove, and they know that their model is not to look at the Marvel model anymore. The fact that they're looking now at an expanded film, uh, films outside of the normal you know, world and the, the new banner that they're allowing us to do gives us the ability to be passionate about the story we want to tell. Uh, he's like, as far as Nightwing is concerned, it's going to be quote-unquote fucking badass action film with a lot of heart and a lot of emotion. My go- job here is to make it this crazy fun ride, and whoever gets cast as Nightwing and above any other actor is going to be put through fucking boot camp because he's going to go through a lot. He's like, I went on to discuss that he also went on to discuss he absolutely hates CG. He uh, wants to do everything in person as best as possible. He said, you know, this character of Dick Grayson is an acrobat. If he can't pull that off on screen, he shouldn't be cast. So I love already what McKay is saying about this. I second this that. This says, I've really, any any director that comes out there and says, yes, I obviously know CG has to be done in certain things. But the fact that he says, whoever's doing this has to be, It's this is going to be a very seriously, physically demanding role. Uh, and I agree with him. If you're going to do a Nightwing film, he has to be the acrobatic, suave, funny. Yes confident all these things if you can't pull off one of those factors you can't make this character work on screen uh and we know chris mckay loves this universe look at what he did with uh, lego batman i know i personally was not a fan uh because it just didn't hit hit, the humor didn't hit with me but i loved the nods every nod that they made you knew he cared about this universe and these characters so 
Uh, very curious to see what's going to happen with this. Uh, obviously, no casting yet, uh, but it, I don't even be believe they've got, begun real pre-production on this film. This is still early stages, but it's wait and see. And the last story we have to talk about is uh, something outside of things because it's not we're not sure what's going to happen with us in this story yet. But uh, Krypton has officially stated Adam Strange will indeed be in the series. Uh, we you know talked about this a little while back. We knew it was going to happen. Uh, but there's the big question of where he was going to fit or if it was just a rumor, but 100% confirmed. Uh, the character created in 1958 in Showcase Comics number 17, Adam Strange, is indeed a normal element of Krypton. So, just uh, that does it for the news, guys. Just seems like a weird pull. It, yeah, it, yeah, it really seems does, really weird. It? I'm looking forward yeah, to it, but Hawkwoman being in the mix there too. Doomsday is going to be in the show. Brainiac probably. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what to expect from this, but hey, uh, it could be something special. It could be something hard. So <laughs> we have no idea, guys. Exactly. Uh, big wait and see. Um, but yeah, that pretty much does it. So we uh, we'll finish up with some recommendations. Uh, Paul, why don't you kick us off? Um. Okay. Recommendations. It's kind of not DC related. And probably more than enough people have seen it all over the internet. I did see uh, the Stephen King It film in the theaters. It is a must-see, and I believe you have to see it in a theater. Um, if you're not the type of person to get scared for horror films, that's fine. Go watch and see everyone else get scared. Um, I actually found kind of some uh, pleasure in doing that. Um <laughs> But it's a damn good horror film. Um, I, I will agree with you. Being in a theater and watching a whole bunch of people jump at once is like crack. I love that is, feeling. It is. Um, and yeah, it's, I didn't want to use that as my recommendation because it's just everyone is talking about it. But there's really – I mean the only other thing I could really mention is don't forget Gotham is on this week. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, thir- I think a lot of people did forget. I, you know, well, I they still moved it to Thursday. Last, yeah, I have those last eight episodes from last season. I still need to watch, which means oh. I probably have to do that this week because we'll probably be going into our uh, Gotham manual yeah. in the next week or two uh, as we prep for the other seasons beginning and as a primer for those of you that are trying to pick Gotham back up. Um, I know that's probably got to be my goal for this week is to is to get that get that done and be ready. You'll so. you'll enjoy the uh, the finale. The finale was very well done. I was super hyped. Um, I'll be honest, of all the DC shows on TV right now, like currently going, um, Arrow and Gotham are probably my two favorites. Uh, That said, though, Legends blew me away last season. Oh, God, that show's amazing. That was some of the best television I'd seen in a while from a DC show. And Flash Flash is, like, consistently good. Um, even, Even when they're bad, they're good. Like, yeah, like and nothing's ever going to beat season one because no. it was flawless. That's why, like, earlier when we were talking about the TV shows and I said, like, Greg Berlani and Andrew Kreisberg especially, those guys have done some, like, a- amazing stuff on TV. Like, And they care. They really care about these characters, too. That's what makes them this, this stuff so special. When you listen to interviews with Kreisberg, he is so passionate. Like, he, he, it's like listening to a kid opening gifts on Christmas morning as he's talking about every show. Um, and that makes me as a fan feel really good because you know yeah. that the passion is there. 
Um, if the passion's there for them, we'll see it. And I mean, it goes back to the whole heart humor and uh, was it heart humor and spectacle or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Like yeah, above the writers' room in the Flash room, heart and humor and spectacle. And you see it week after week after week with the Flash. Um, Arrow, it had its down periods, but it definitely redeemed itself last season for me. Um, One of the best seasons of TV I think I've ever seen. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. And, man, I'm so jealous of Ben because I would just – he was on stage with uh, Josh Segura, and he said the interview that you guys will probably be hearing not that uh, – you know, very soon. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy is incredibly, incredibly funny. But if I saw him, I would have just hugged him. And I'm like, thank you so much because you entertain me like no one else uh, in, in years. And I, I was just blown away. Someone needs to dip Prometheus in a Lazarus pit because I don't want a season without him now. <laughs> <laughs> he was fucking enjoyable to watch oh i know uh you know uh, my recommendation uh is very two simple ones mm -hmm. uh right off the bat if you haven't been doing it make sure in your podcast feed get bats bows and books in oh. there immediately thank you um absolutely it's such a fun show i really really enjoy it especially like i said i, I this was so much fun to do with you today uh, this talking horror. I think you and me could at least go another two hours without question. Um, <laughs> I will say so this. Many, so many films to talk about. I will so. say this. It's a lot easier to do a podcast when you have a partner than doing it by yourself. <laughs> and I've really learned to talk to myself pretty good on that show. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Like the the one or two times that what me or Ben has had to do something by ourselves, I'm like, oh, it'll be five minutes. And like 30 minutes later, I'm like, damn it. We really don't know how to do a short show. No. Um, <laughs> so it's okay. Uh, but I will say this, though, too. Uh, aside from your show, the other thing, because we are talking about DC Horror, there's a DC Horror thing that's happening right now. And if you haven't taken the time, go on Comixology, go to your local comic book store, pick up Dark Knight Metal. Oh, yes. This is something really, really, really special. Um, you know, I, I was really slow at, to get off my ass and watch... Stranger Things, which I am now obsessed with. Absolutely think it's one of the best things I've ever seen. This is the upside down of the DC Universe, and it's something truly horrific. There is, you know, bear in mind, if you can't deal with body horror, this is not the book for you. <laughs> but I will say this, man, this is something truly outstanding. This feels like Scott Snyder saying, I love everything Grant Morrison did, and I'm going to twist it. In even a more messed up way, and he's succeeding so incredibly well. Scott Snyder, I think, to this day is the next Jeff Johns, the next. Oh, Len definitely. Wien. He is. He's got something so special about him. He takes at Brew Baker, all these amazing writers, taps into all of them, and creates something all very special and something of his own. And when everybody saw, you know, that story coming out, I'm like, this sounds dumb. This sounds really stupid. Man, just read that first issue, and you will be so happy that you did. DC has Def DC's got some great artists. You've got your Capullo, you've got Jim Lee, you've got Jason Fabic, you've got like some of the greatest artists. But when it comes to writers, Scott Snyder was a great find for them. Um, his whole Batman run during the New Fifty Two was amazing. It was one of the best things I've ever. One of the most interesting stories I've ever read. Right, um, you know, like, starting with the Court of Owls, going mm -hmm. up through. His take on the Joker. Even the most terrifying Joker I have ever seen. And I always will remember one page. Um, and it's when Joker's story comes back. And it's Gordon laying in his bed, having a last cigarette. And jo uh, the Joker laying underneath, counting basically how many cigarettes he has left. Yep. And it was just something 
terrifying about that sequence. Even that story about Bloom. I was like, who is yeah. this character? And yet I wanted more. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 Batman bunny suit, the the yeah. mech suit. I know, and putting Jim Gordon in the suit of all people. Like we've seen Azrael be uh, Batman, we've seen Damian Wayne, we've seen uh, uh, Dick Grayson, but never thought I'd see Jim Gordon. And you know what though? Every time he does something like that and takes a risk, it pays off and it works. And I love that it always taps into what he's previously done. It seems like he had this master plan of this for this character for 10 years mm-hmm. and he's just executing it flawlessly. Oh, I know. It works so beautifully. So if you haven't picked it up, make sure you do, guys. Oh, definitely. Again, uh, oh, this, I think only the second issue is out now. Um, and man, wait till you see when you, you see the Robins because uh, that's uh, mm-hmm. kind of terrifying. So Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's do some cheap plugs and uh, we will say adieu. So, uh, Paul, starting with you, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash bats, bows, and books. Uh, I'm uh, on Instagram. I actually have two Instagrams. I always tell people my personal one and my podcast one because the personal one is where you'll find all the horror stuff and the podcast one is where you find all the stuff related to the podcast so my personal one um it's really weird don't ask where it came from but it's instagram um at snowblood.in.arkham um i'm not explaining where all that came from um (laughs) and then of course the bats bows and books podcast on instagram as well Uh, i also have a Redbubble store um I have a few designs on there, not a lot. Um, I'm not very good visually. I'm more a talker. Um, but I ha- I do have a few designs on there. It's redbubble.com slash people slash bats, bows, and books. And then, of course, there's the podcast. Uh, you can find it on, like I said earlier, iTunes, Google, Stitcher. Uh, I think it's on Podcast Addict, uh, Podbean, Um I usually add it to Podbean, and for some reason, it ends up everywhere else. So, uh, basically, anywhere you can download um, an app for podcasting, like to listen to podcasts, you'll f- you probably find it there. Awesome, man! Uh, and as for us, you always know you can find us at nextlevelradioonline.com. Uh, there's a great series of shows out there between uh, the Showcast Spotlight, where you can hear interviews with a lot of the folks that you've seen on the uh, DC and Arrowverse. And beyond, this is continuing with things like Gotham. Uh, very soon, obviously, you'll be hearing an interview with Robin Lord Taylor and Drew Powell. Uh, that'll definitely be popping up there. Plus, all the work that Ben and Adam are doing at uh, Heroes and Villains right now. So uh, make sure you keep a close eye on the Showcast Spotlight. Uh, in addition to that, though, too, you can find my other show, which is the Caffeine Crew Cast of Pods, which is a roundtable podcast discussion, uh, usually focusing on a geek culture topic. You usually were trying to do something to make things very light and positive in uh, this realm. So, But this upcoming episode, which I believe we're recording this coming Wednesday or Thursday, I'm not quite sure, uh, is going to be focused on pirates and why pirates are so special in geek culture and why we love them so much. But something kind of cool, I think we're actually one of our good friends is a bit of a historian, uh, and she is going to be helping us along the way with some real interesting facts about this stuff as we geek out about some of the things that just make us just laugh and make us sad. And when I think sad, I think Cutthroat Island. So (laughs) (laughs) if you don't remember that movie, uh, try to forget it. So I'll be honest. uh, I don't remember it. I think we're also doing something special with this one though, too. Uh, Ben has a new piece of tech uh, and he is using it this weekend. 
So I'm very curious to see. But uh, we might be doing this as a live feed this week. So you'll hear a normal audio version of the podcast, but I believe we will also have a video version of the podcast that will be out there where you can actually see us all talking about this in full. So uh, this will be an experiment for us, but uh, we may be doing this in the future, continuing on anytime Ben is a part of the episode. So I'm really looking forward to seeing and taking this to the next level, no pun intended. So, uh, nice. But uh, in addition to that, uh, there are links out there for our Red Bubble store where anything you buy right now with our brand new logo we designed, which is our new crossover logo, uh, all that is going to support uh, Hurricane Relief. So if you get a chance, head over to facebook.com slash DC Primetime. You'll see the links right there. In addition to that, um, you know that'll be running through the end of the month of September, but we also will have a new store popping up with new things with the new logo done in a couple different ways. Uh, and then we, of course, have our big Extra Life event that's going on, our big raffle. Some of the prizes that are getting taken care of this weekend are insane, guys. Really, really, really the stress. Make sure you enter this. Some of the things that are be coming out of this, which we'll probably be announcing in full next week, are well worth your hard-earned money to help people that need it most. And really, you're talking about 10 bucks to get a chance to win some of these things. It's really worth it. We will ship anywhere. It's not a problem. Uh, Paul can attest. We did something uh, back in uh, the holidays where we were doing some things for our community members. This is a special thanks. Yep. But uh, we, we really love giving back to you guys and to the community. Um, so please, if you can, support Extra Life. You can do that by going to extra-life.org. And you can simply search two names, Ben space Beck, B-E-N space B-E-C-K, or myself, Rob, R-O-B space Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N. If you just donate into those spots, all you have to do is your message is write DC Primetime. It enters you immediately into our raffle. Uh, every $10 gives you one entry. Every $50 gives you 10 uh, There is no limit to how many entries you can have to win. Uh, and the drawing will be done shortly after the event. Uh, if not during the event, we might do a few live streams. That will be happening on November 11th. Uh, after that... Anything that we don't have that hasn't been given away, we'll definitely do other giveaways for it in the future. So uh, make sure you guys get to that as soon as you can. Uh, you know, we, we only have less than two months before the event, and we have a long way to go to beat what we did last year. So, uh, But besides that, guys, that does it for episode number 74. Paul, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. I'm really, really happy we finally had you here. Um, and you will definitely be back when Ben is on. And I can't wait to see what happens just, with just, the show. Just so you know, the honor was mine. Because I've been listening to you guys for, well, I'd say it's been about a year now. I've been listening to the podcast. And I know we've talked about it in the past of having me on and whatnot. And I mean, prior to the last couple of months, I was actually really intimidated by the idea of being on. But uh, this has been absolutely fun. It was awesome being able to go back to old films that I haven't watched in a long time <laughs> um, and researching it and just enjoying the whole podcasting experience. But with you, like being able to do it on your show and just be a guest for once and have fun with it, uh, it was a complete honor. The only, the only downfall is, like you said, no Ben, um, but... Uh, no offense, Ben, but you're the lucky bastard at H uh, uh, Hero, Heroes and Villains uh, HVFF, whatever they call it. Um, you're there right now, so at least you get that. Um, but yeah, definitely we'll do this again. Um, and absolutely, and I will definitely. Uh, I'll want both of you on when I start up the horror show, which I am hoping to have running by Halloween. So 
Um, Absolutely. It's something I have to kind of talk with Ben about, but yeah, um, definitely. Uh, we have to do this more often. This was a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> it really was. Yes. I really enjoyed this so, one, guys. Thank you so much, really. Absolutely, Paul. Like I said, uh, you know what? I, we, we've had a lot of our community members on the show, um, but it's always fun to be able to geek out with other people as well, mm-hmm. uh, especially about stuff that we're passionate about, and especially just in addition to being able to talk to our community. Um, but when we find something that we really enjoy, like your show, it, it, there's nothing better we can do than to help promote it. Uh, it's the same like we did with uh, our, our friend with, uh, you know, here here within store mm-hmm. with uh, Tony. And it, it, it's we love doing stuff like that because you guys work just as hard as we do on this stuff. Yep. And it's great to be able to be passionate and be able to share those passions with people that are like minded. Awesome. No, seriously. Thank you again. All right, Paul. Well, we're going to get out of here, guys, uh, but we'll see you next week. I'm not quite sure what we're going to be talking about quite yet. It might just be a recap for Ben. Uh, I don't know what his week is looking like. Uh, I'm going to start trying to power through the last bit of Gotham uh, just because trying to find the time has been difficult, uh, but I am excited to watch it. So we'll try to do that very, very soon. Uh, shows are kicking off really soon, guys, so we, we will definitely have some interesting things. Uh, we might even try to do something again real quick with maybe some of our other you know previous guests. Uh, and get some, like, maybe a little predictions episode, so we'll try to maybe get Paul in on that, Shad, Jackson, uh, TJ, you know, Chris, and, uh, you know, any, everybody else that's been on as we all gear up. So, uh, I know, uh, Craig has been wanting to get back on the show, too, and I always love having him in the mix, so we'll, uh, we'll do that soon, guys, but, uh, until then, we'll see you around the bend. Yes, thanks again. Bye.